Good morning. Gratitude. A time of gratitude, reflection, renewal, and hope. With an, what an unearned blessing to delight in the calming peace of this space. To hear the robin song again at daybreak, to feel the warmth in this room, and to enjoy the promise of summer almost upon us. Each moment of wakefulness has so many gifts that offer energy and delight, yet too often they seem unavailable as the weight of our troubles press down on us. Threats to our well-being, real or exaggerated, feel like mosquitoes in the night looking for a place to land. Minds become captive to rising floodwaters, forceful, murky, threatening, and ominous. Even in moments of great danger, the direction of attention is a choice. Fear can dominate the mind, binding it like a straight jacket. Or love can unbind it, open it to resource and opportunity. Bless you. The soil of the mind can be watered with kindness. The thorns can be removed one by one to appreciate the buds ready to flower. Great possibilities await us. Even if all we can see is the cliff before us, the grandeur of life of which we are a part scatters rainbows in every direction, even as the deluge approaches. Holding reality and possibility together is the holy, hope-filled work of humanity, if, if we choose it again and again in love. weary feeling small when tears are in your eyes I'll dry them all. I am on your side oh when times get rough Hey! 
Good morning. Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. My name tag has gone AWOL, but I'm pretty sure I'm Perry Biter. And I'm so glad you're here with us this morning, either in the room or joining us via the magic of the internet. Special welcome to our first time visitors. We are glad that you found your way to us. And to our returning visitors and guests, we're glad you're back for more. Uh, we hope all of you folks got blue name tags so that we can welcome you and answer any questions you might have. We love talking about why this community is important to us and we're very curious to know what you're looking for and uh, would like to answer any questions we can about whether you might be able to find that here. We hope you'll join us after the platform service for coffee and cookies in the lobby in the social hall. Also, please consider sharing with us, if you have not already done so, uh, your contact information on this gold sheet that's in your program. We would love to add you to our weekly mailing list so that you can keep up to date on what's happening here. You can drop that in the collection basket as it passes later in the service. I would like to remind everyone to please silence your electronic devices, anything that beeps or boops, uh, so that you can be fully present this morning. In the process, if you want to check in on social media and tell people where you are and point out that there's another service they can catch here at 1130, be our guest. And I now invite Randy Myers to read our statement of purpose. Randy's a member of our Community Relations Committee. As we explore the theme of trust this month, we're particularly grateful for the committee's work in facilitating open communication and connection in our community. Can you all hear me? Okay. Okay. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique cap capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where there is love and justice, justice cross all borders. Thank you, Randy. As Randy lights our community candle, I invite you to join me in the candle lighting words shown on the screen. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I am particularly mindful of the first anniversary of the mass shooting at Parkland High School. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us.
Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. I invite you now into a time of meditation. Please take a moment to get as comfortable as you can in the seat. Wiggle around till you feel fully supported. If you're comfortable closing your eyes, do that, or just let them focus softly in front of you. And start by taking a deep breath. And how about another one? In the silence that follows, I invite you to try on for size the idea of holding reality and possibility together. If you can do that, what does it feel like? If you can't quite get there, what does trying to do it feel like? at the table with my head in my hand a column of numbers I just could not understand you said add these together carry the two now you you can do this hard thing. You can do this hard thing. It's not easy, I know, but I believe that it's so. You can do this hard thing. At a cold winter station, breathing into our gloves this would change me forever 
my pleasure to introduce the Reverend Rebecca Savage. She was a military chaplain for 10 years, and she is now associate minister at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Rockville, where, by the way, our own Donna Taylor serves as administrator. Rebecca is also a doctoral student at Wesley Theological Seminary and a parent of two, and despite all of that, she found time to come talk with us this morning. So we're very appreciative of that. Rebecca, thank you for coming to talk to us today. So a few things that I've learned when Amanda Poppy asks you for a favor, you say yes. Because I adore Amanda and have a lot of respect for this congregation. And it's an absolute delight and privilege to be here today. Conflict is inevitable, but combat is optional. It started as a good day, a wonderful day. I was taking a class for my doctoral program at Wesley Seminary on interfaith chaplaincy, which is in the military chaplain track. My class was visiting a mosque for Juma, which is the high holiday service on Fridays at noon. Our hosts were incredibly gracious and very generous 
and welcomed us all warmly, about 25 military chaplains, 23 of whom were male and two female. As is custom at most mosques, the men and the women enter from different entrances and there's separate seating. I entered, covered my hair, and went to the women's section. Well, the men of my class went to the other side of the room for the men's side. Until the other woman in my class arrived, I was sitting happily alone. That's when it happened. One of my colleagues sitting with the other male chaplains called out to me from across the room, Rebecca, behave yourself. and then went on to laugh and laugh. I was insulted. I was furious. I was insulted as a woman. I was insulted that my colleague said this to me. I was insulted and embarrassed that my colleague said this to me across the room in front of our hosts. I'll start by saying I detest drama. I'm allergic to drama. As the minister and the author, Max Lusato, wrote, as you heard in the beginning, conflict is inevitable, but combat is optional, which is rather amusing given that we're actually talking about a class of military chaplains. So I took this as a sharing moment, a teachable moment and went to my colleague and calmly had a conversation with him the next day. Oh man, he got incredibly angry with me, incredibly upset, incredibly defensive, that I was making a big deal out of nothing. He burned holes in my skin. You know that feeling when someone's really upset with you? He burned holes in my skin a long while after this incident. So one of the hardest conversations I think I've ever really had because I had to return to the ground of my being. I know who I am. I know my ground of being is kindness and respect and compassion. Modeling and mentoring those as a minister, a chaplain, a counselor, a parent, a human. He had made a poor choice of words, which hopefully gave him an opportunity to reflect on how he treats women, what he believes about respect, how he models being a chaplain in an interfaith environment. What made this experience palatable for me is that I returned back to what was important, affirming our friendship, affirming my respect for him as a person and a colleague. I could have made this into a combat situation. I could have called him out time and time again for being sexist. I had to do the hard work of staying in right relationship with this chaplain. So as I was reflecting on this topic of conflict and conflict resolution, I nosed around to find resources. When Franciscan Counseling Center outlined conflicts based on three different arenas, possessions, 
actions, and identity. And in terms of dealing with conflict resolution, they ask questions. When a conflict is around possessions, what goods or possessions do we want that's leading to this conflict? Has something been taken from us? Have we taken something from someone? Are the goods we are seeking, are they scarce? When the conflict arises from actions, the questions are, what do we want to do? Has someone stopped us from doing something we wanted to do? Have we stopped someone else from doing something they wanted to do? Have our actions harmed someone? Has someone else's actions harmed us? Have our own actions harmed us? And when the conflicts are based on identity, the questions are, who are we trying to be? Has someone objected to who we are? Has someone stopped us from being who we want to be? And do we object to someone else's identity or do we object to someone else's attempt to define themselves or us? Possessions, choices, identity, all intertwined deep into how we each treat each other how to exist in relationships and community. What caught my attention in this model of addressing conflict resolution is just that very series of questions which foster reflection. It's like the age-old adage of the frog in the pot. Have you heard of the frog in the pot? A frog can supposedly be be supposedly be placed in a pot of water on a stove and slowly you can turn up the heat and the frog won't struggle for freedom and for life itself until it's too late. The water is boiling. The frog dies. So this series of questions around possessions and choices and identity encourage the taking of a moment to do a 360, a 360, 360-degree assessment of the situation. In a combat situation, we tell each other, keep your head on a swivel. Taking the temperature of why the room is suddenly feeling so hot and sweat is breaking out on our brow. What is really going on for me right now? Where is this really landing in my heart and my spirit? Is this an old wound? Is this an old hurt repackaged in a new way? Is this contrary to a core value or ideal that I'm failing to live up to? What's really happening? Breathe. Take the temperature. Do a 360. Avoid boiling to death. And this is a practice. Just as gratitude is a practice, not just a feeling, internal peace and serenity is a practice, not just a feeling, Reflection is a practice, not just a feeling. And this takes a degree of discipline. 
before responding in haste or out of our baser instincts, our higher calling requires the discipline of reflection and owning our part in a conflict. So I think back to that situation with my colleague, a fellow chaplain. What if he had responded in that moment by just taking a breath and listening? Wait, what? I heard one of those um, graduation commencement speeches, and the speaker said one of the core questions of life should always be, wait, what? <laughs> Gives you a moment to breathe, to think, to listen, to receive again more deeply. Jocko Wilnick, a former Navy SEAL and motivational speaker, wrote a book called Discipline Equals Freedom. Now, I was raised in a liberal progressive family. I was raised as a Unitarian Universalist. So often when someone starts talking about discipline and freedom, you know, the country, the flag-waving sort of freedom, love the Second Amendment, I bristle at the nudge towards conformity or conservative values. There ain't nothing conservative about me, you can ask Donna. And yet, discipline equaling freedom makes sense. In navigating towards a disciplined practice of self-reflection and a quasi-radical humility, a freedom of equanimity, and dare I say, justice is gained. Stay with me for a moment. I'll say that again. A freedom of equanimity, and dare I say, justice is gained. So let's just layer on racial justice work and dismantling white supremacy on this now. Let's frame this dominative, heteronormal patriarchal white supremacist culture that we all swim in as our simmering pot of cultural waters. Justice work starts with us paying attention, noticing injustice, feeling in the depths of our spirits the inhumanity of the suffering of our human kin, caring about injustice and oppression and doing something about it. But these are the big rocks of justice work, the doing of the justice work, the showing up at marches, the signing petitions, participating in community organizing and sharing our resources towards justice causes. These are incredibly important, life-savingly important big rocks. What I'm talking about are those little rocks, the pebbles of justice work, our daily interactions, where we live, where we spend our money, what news sources we consume, how we pay attention to our everyday surroundings, and who we exist with side by side. And this harder and nebulous Complex work begins with examining our privilege. Author Ijeoma Ijulu, in her book, So You Want to Talk About Race, that's the title, So You Want to Talk About Race, which is an amazing book, 
both for people of color and allies and for those seeking to learn. Because the author outlines a series of questions for each chapter. Chapter three is, why am I always being told to check my privilege? If we circle back to those reflection questions around conflict resolution, the ones about conflict regarding identity speak to this. Who are we trying to be? What are our highest ideals? How are we matching our journey, our choices, with our internal compass? Who we're trying to be is a people of faith and conscience actively working towards dismantling white supremacy, building the beloved community in our time, in our space, and in our hearts. As such, we are called to examine our privilege that shape our experiences in the world, those little rocks of justice. So we ask ourselves, what advantages have I had that may be contributing to my understanding of this situation? Like the frog in the pot, we take the temperature by doing a 360 of our environment, and that's work that we can't do alone. My male colleague couldn't, he had an opportunity to put himself in my experience and reflect on how is this, me sitting alone in the women's section and him calling out, surrounded my men, Rebecca, behave yourself. It's work we can't do alone. So that's where that quasi-radical humility comes in. It takes a discipline, a discipline of being curious, staying open, asking questions, listening. We are given two ears and one mouth for a reason, listening building towards shared understanding and considering how our past and our present and our assumptions and our privilege may be at play. Phew, um, it's exhausting. It can be exhausting, and yet this is where this month's spiritual theme comes in. Trust. Trust. As a people of faith and conscience, we trust that our shared humanity operates out of and from good intentions. We trust that our highest aspirations serve truly as our ideal. We trust that beauty and truth and wisdom and justice blossom when we draw closer to our best selves. We trust that humility and curiosity guide our journey towards meaning and purpose. So in that moment, if someone chooses to share their experience with you, it is a gift even if it feels hard in the moment. So we are called to breathe, ask, wait, what? And receive. In closing, I'll refrain back to the reading this morning. 
which speak to this grace. Even in moments of great danger, the direction of attention is a choice. Fear can dominate the mind, binding it like a straitjacket, or love can unbind it, open it to resource and opportunity. The soil of the mind can be watered with kindness. The thorns can be removed one by one to appreciate the buds ready to flower. Great possibilities await us even if all we can see is the cliff before us, the grandeur of life of which we are a part. Scatters rainbows in every direction even as the deluge approaches. Holding reality, holding reality and possibility together is the holy, hope-filled work of humanity. If, if we choose it again and again in love. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Maureen and Tom. I'm really glad I'm going to get a chance to hear all of this a second time. Be worth thinking about and listening to again. 
This is our community response period. It's a chance for some of us to add our voice to the morning's conversation. It's not intended for question and answer, um, but you'll be around after the platform if anybody wants to talk with Rebecca one-on-one. -on -one. I will bring the mic to you. If you raise your hand, please start by saying your first name. First, let me give the introverts a chance to catch up to the rest of us and have a moment of silence. <laughs> 